And it's important to know, even our strongest, most progressive stores can change, right? Like yes. you're you're only as kind of good as your last actions, right? Towards your towards your workforce. Yeah. And so again, this is a story of a of a kind of a once really progressive company that has really changed its tone and tenor, and we don't know exactly why internally, profits yeah. or whatever it is, right? So, um, I keep an eye on it all, honestly. Yeah. Absolutely, and we will certainly do that as well. Uh, we will be back with you next month. Uh, But thank you so much for listening to Labor Radio. Have a great evening. Chavez, you're listening to KBOO, listener-sponsored radio. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? When everything goes wrong, you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood Good evening, you're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Tonight we're talking with Michael Leibowitz. Michael, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Um, Michael, I'll start, let's start off first. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. On November 28th, 2022, I was released from prison after serving 25 years and roughly four months. And while in prison, I co-authored a book with Brent McCall. He was the senior author. I was more of a helper, but it was called Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime. And from that, I ended up being a regular guest on a popular talk show here in Connecticut, the Todd Feinberg Show. I've written numerous op-ed pieces and done an abundance of interviews on the subject. It's something that I care very deeply about because I think that nobody is served well by the current correction system, neither the taxpayers, the victims, nor the people that are incarcerated. Well, great. Great. Well, that's a great introduction. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Michael, could you tell us a little bit, like, who were you before you went to prison? Okay. Well, I was raised by a single mother. My mother was a heroin addict, and she raised me in a government housing project. And growing up, I was always attracted to the kids in the neighborhood that like to get into trouble, whether that be through vandalizing, stealing, or fighting, those were the things that I was attracted to. And as I got older and older, I escalated and became more involved in things like robberies and burglaries. And I just really liked that life. I liked being a criminal. I liked doing drugs. I liked hurting people. And eventually I had a girlfriend and I was very insecure and very jealous and very possessive. And that combined with my tendency of violence ultimately led me when she and I broke up and she had a new boyfriend, I arranged for three of my friends to break into her house and stab her new boyfriend. They also accidentally stabbed her. And for that, and 
a, a lot of other crimes as well, but that was the main one. I received the 33 year prison sentence and I served 25 years of it. Now, while in prison, I continued using drugs. I continued activities like gambling, but ultimately I decided that if I was ever going to have a life for myself, I needed to become a better person. So I had already been reading quite a bit. And from that, I learned a little bit about human psychology and philosophy, but I'd say two books in particular really helped me along my way. One was Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand because that set forth an ethical vision and gave me an ethical standard by which to judge my conduct. The other one was Inside the Criminal Mind by Dr. Stanton Samenow. Now, when Brent and I, Brent's my best friend, my co-author, he was my cellmate for 11 years. He, when he and I first got that book, we thought, who, who the hell is this guy to write a book on the criminal mind? We you know, were very skeptical, to say the least. But as we read the book, we noticed that he was spot on. I mean, it was as if somebody laid out a veritable blueprint for the way that we thought. And he also offered a means by which to correct that, the, the criminal thinking that we were engaging in. So from that point on, armed with a ethical philosophy and armed with a knowledge of the criminal mind, we built off of that to become people of integrity. And I've been trying to improve myself ever since and continue to do so on a daily basis. Thanks. Can you tell me more about that book that influenced you so much? I, I, I don't know that I've heard of it before. Inside the Criminal Mind? Yeah. Okay, so Inside the Criminal Mind is written by Dr. Stanton Samenow. It's basically a distilled version of a previous work of his and Dr. Samuel Yokelson. That was The Criminal Personality. And in The Criminal Personality, it's three volumes that amounts to roughly, I'd say, 1,300, 1,400 pages. They laid out 52 criminal thinking errors that all criminals engage in. There's victim stance where we, we blame others for our behavior super optimism where we think we're smarter than other people and we're going to get away with everything a lack of time perspective where we seek immediate gratification failure to put ourselves in other people's positions so that we don't recognize when we're violating people's rights and concrete thinking where we're unable to conceptualize things like rights justice ethics the future and we're very concrete bound and immediate in our behavior. Now there's a lot of other ones, but I don't, I don't know that you want me to cover all of them. But the point is, is that by reading those and by coming to understand ourselves and me, myself, I was able to correct them and you correct them by means of rational disputation. Like, am I really a victim? And the, the evidence was overwhelming that I wasn't. The fact of the matter was I victimized far more people than ever victimized me. And by accepting responsibility for my behavior, which is what the doctors mandate that a criminal do if he's going to change, it's a very empowering thing. Because if I'm always thinking that somebody else is in control of my behavior, I really can't do anything about it. But by accepting responsibility, now I gain control and I'm able to really to flourish. It's a very empowering feeling to own my actions and own my thoughts. Michael, can you explain to me your own theory of how the psychology of victimization works for adults in custody? Well, I think that most people um, are hesitant to blame themselves for anything. 
And it's possible that with the, and this is just my theory that I'm basically compiling right now in response to the question. I think that the worse the behavior is, the less a person wants to take responsibility for it because to do so would maybe mean that I'm a bad person and people in general don't want to view themselves as bad people. Now, there's other factors as well. By blaming myself, by blaming others, rather, I was able to exculpate myself from a lot of situations. You know, it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. And then people feel bad for me and maybe don't hold me accountable. And on top of that, there's countless theories out there by psychologists, sociologists, criminologists that put the blame on parents, society, genetics. So these hand up ready-made excuses to criminals. So when you combine the desire to be good people, the desire to not be blamed, the desire to get out of trouble, and the fact that there's all these highly intellectualized theories, it becomes very easy to view myself as a victim and to blame other people. And unfortunately, most of the programs in the Department of Corrections only reinforce that idea. They will come in and they teach basically that the criminals are indeed victims of whether it be parents or an unjust society or their own genetic code. It ultimately boils down to that they teach that criminals are not responsible for their own behavior. And that's a very limiting belief. Why do you think it is that in corrections that <clears throat> at least uh, from the from the framework that you see it, why do you think that corrections invest so much in these programs that um, you you express as kind of reinforcing um, victimhood? Well, part of it is that they don't invest. It, it comes down to who is volunteering to go into prison. So, for instance, you have the Alternatives to Violence Project. That's a completely based on people coming in from the outside that are volunteering to come into the prison. So the fact that they don't have to pay for it or NA and AA, which they also don't have to pay for because those are volunteers. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is I think that there's no incentive really for people in corrections to get it right. They're going to be paid no matter what. So whether or not they re, they rehabilitate offenders, whether or not they offer effective programming, whether or not they run those programs well is really irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They're getting a paycheck no matter what. If somebody worked at McDonald's and had the performance reputation that corrections has, they'd be fired in probably a day. But in corrections, unfortunately, there's no mechanism by which you can fire those people. So there's no reason for mm -hmm. them to get it right. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. So how did how did the book, how did that book um, inside the criminal mind, how did it change your life? Like, what did, what did you do? As you were reading it as your friend was reading it? Like, what did it do to change how you viewed your situation? And what concrete actions did you take as a result of that? Well, he, Dr. Samanow taught that, like I said, that criminals are responsible for their own behavior. So start if that's the starting point own it but then he also insists on total integrity he says that criminals cannot be allowed the type of misbehaviors that your average responsible person can be allowed for instance if you work at an office and you take a pen home with you from the office it's really not a big deal but if i do that it's reinforcing a lifetime of patterns whereby i thought i could get away with and i thought i had a right to other people's property so it comes down to really micro analyzing my behavior you know what is is driving this behavior is this behavior indicative of my overall criminal patterns am i robbing somebody am i violating somebody else's rights and to 
constantly measure my behavior every day by those types of standards. So for instance, I would no longer accept stolen stuff. So if, a, if an inmate steals some food from his job, I'm not taking it. If he steals a pen from the, the CO, I'm not taking that pen. If my behavior is inconsiderate towards others, I'm modifying that behavior. So just to anticipate a possible question, because a lot of people ask me this, that, well, if you're saying that corrections doesn't rehabilitate, how did you do it? People will say that to me. Well, the answer is, is that I had a best friend who was reading the same material I was reading and who was willing to hold me accountable for all my misbehaviors and to listen to me when I was struggling. And I did the same for him. So we were in the block together for 15 years and we were cellmates for 11 years. That is not a recipe that can be duplicated across the correctional system in this country. That is completely fortuitous that we happen to run into each other. And I also had another friend that we met later on down the line who sort of got involved in the same goals that we had. That's just not repeatable not on a large scale anyway. So yes, we were able to rehabilitate ourselves in prison, but that's despite of the correctional system, not because of it. So what would you suggest corrections do differently? What would make it easier for people to have access to the kinds of um, understandings and insights that you and your friend had access to um, what well, what could corrections do to help support that? Well, a simple Google search of evidence-based uh, programming and core correctional practices would tell anybody what actually needs to be done. The problem is implementing that stuff requires a lot of effort, effort that the people that are employed by corrections have no interest in putting forth because, like I said, they're already getting paid. They're already benefiting off of the system as is. That, in large part, is because they have a powerful union that protects them and when you have a, a voting block and a powerful union that protects you, those interests become entrenched and are very difficult to, to alter. So I think that the first thing I would do is crack down on the union. I would break up union power, get rid of the entrenched interests, and then reform the correctional system so that the people that work in corrections are actually remunerated based on results and not just siphoning taxpayers dollars into their pockets regardless of what uh you know what their accomplishments are so but if you did break up i mean theoretically let's just follow this for a minute okay. if you did actually break up a union that supports corrections officers do you think that that's the kind of work that people want to do without the protection of the union i mean do you think that people who work in corrections these are mostly people who don't have criminal backgrounds themselves um you know they're, they're coming into work in an environment where they could get shanked they could get shot they could you know they could have all kinds of situations on you know facing them every single day that mm -hmm. could disrupt their life uh you know, affect their body, their affect their, you know, affect their entire lives. And they're going into these spaces where they're taking these risks. I mean, do you think that they're willing to do that sort of thing without some sort of guarantees as workers? Okay, well, there's a lot that you just said that I have yeah. to unpack. So the first thing Please is, do. is the idea of how dangerous the job is. 
again, a simple Google search will show that correction officers are by no means even close to the top of most dangerous jobs. That's the first thing. Secondly, the way that they currently conduct themselves makes the environment more dangerous. The fact that they get away with sleeping on the job, with talking to inmates in a very disrespectful manner. That's by no means all of them do that, but enough do it to whereby it creates risks. The fact that they let inmates break rules with impunity so that everybody that's doing time knows that there's going to be very little consequence for their misbehavior. So I think it would actually be a safer environment, not a less safe environment. There's also the, the fact that how many people enter corrections with the very high ideals and then just get completely destroyed by the system, knowing that if they try to do what's right, they're gonna be going against everybody around them. All their fellow employees are gonna discourage them from doing what's right. If they ever report the misbehavior of their coworkers, they'll be ostracized. So there's that. And then how many people currently don't enter corrections because they know that it's a futile endeavor, but if they thought they actually could accomplish something, they might enter it. that if they knew they were going to get paid for results rather than just get a paycheck for doing nothing, I think you'd have more people there. And there's some evidence for what I'm saying. There's a corporation called Serco that operates out of the UK and they have private prisons in Australia, New Zealand, and I think even in the United Kingdom. And they actually give bonuses to their employees based on results, based on reductions in recidivism. And there's some evidence, and I haven't done an abundance of research on them, but there's some evidence that these prisons are far more humane, that they're far better run and have better results. So I I, I disagree with the idea that if they weren't just going to be protected by unions, that they wouldn't take the job. I disagree with the idea that the job's so dangerous. And I, I think that other people would enter the field if there were greater prospects for them. I mean, we're kind of getting into a whole nother topic, which is really interesting. I mean, I suppose as someone who's spent 25 years as an adult in custody, as someone who's incarcerated, you have a really great insight into how the correction system works and what motivates people who work in corrections. And it's a great conversation to have to talk about what you know can be done to improve uh, working conditions for people who are um, you know, corrections officers and whether this particular way of doing it, whether it's a, a union or if it's a, a private prison model is a totally legitimate subject for um, speculation and for debate. So I really appreciate you raising that uh, raising that up. It's not a conversation that comes on the show very often. And, um, you know, I just, I really appreciate you uh, sh- sharing, sharing that perspective today. Thank you. Yeah. So um, you have been out since November. Um, congratulations. What what does it feel like to be out? What How does it feel to be on the outside? It, it's absolutely amazing. It's so refreshing. I'm grateful and happy every day of my life. I mean, just to be in an environment where there's peace and quiet, where I can actually do my studying and do my learning and self-reflection and peace is is a beautiful thing to be able to choose with whom I associate on a daily basis to not be surrounded by people with an agenda or you know people that don't care about how they treat other people whether it be inmates or correctional officers it's wonderful it's wonderful to actually be able to just have nice conversations with nice people on a regular basis I 
that's the best thing about it. But I mean, there's so much more being free, obviously, to go where I want, when I want. It's amazing. It's I, I can't. I'm dumbfounded by how wonderful it feels. Like I'm almost at a loss for words, and that's something I've never been accused of. <laughs> yeah, it must be really nice. What 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 are you doing with your time now that you're um, on the outside? Well, I'm actually preparing for a career in podcasting or being a talk show host. So I spend a lot of time on the radio. I'm on WTIC here in Connecticut as a regular guest. I also help with getting other guests for that show, the Todd Feinberg show. And so I spend a lot of time Googling people and finding guests for the show or Googling ideas, reading articles, listening to podcasts, various things just to keep myself informed so I have subject matter to discuss. And I'm familiarizing myself with how to record a Zoom meeting, for instance, or how to use the microphone that I have. This is might be the first Zoom meeting that I've actually been able to set up and it worked flawlessly from the start. Usually I, I have problems. So there's a lot to learn. I'm way behind the curve, but I've got a lot of people in my corner that are helping me, and I think I'll ultimately turn this into a successful career, and that's my goal. Well, you've got a good voice for radio. That's Thank obvious. You. It's very nice. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, tell me about the show that you're on. What do you? Uh, what, what's your show about? What do you? What do you talk about? Well, the, the Todd Feinberg show is a. It's basically a political talk show, but. It, that really short changes quite a bit. You know, they also discuss cultural issues, local issues. You know, they have a, a food hour every week where they just discuss various types of food and where best to get that food. And but ultimately, it's a the host is a libertarian politically, like I am. So it advances the agenda that I'm interested in advancing, which is a free society. And we also do quite a bit of criminal justice talk, which I I've actually believe I've added to the show. They didn't do a whole lot of that before I got there. So it allows me to have a voice to get the information out there about what happens in corrections and what it takes to reform offenders and how we can have a better system. And, you know, just to be honest, I'm not always received very well, especially when I was actually in prison. There was quite a bit of people that put pressure on the host to not have me on, but he stood with me and kept me on, and I'm very, very grateful for that. As, as you can imagine, I'm a liberal. I mean, maybe you can tell by me talking to you. How, how, how would a libertarian approach the issue of corrections? Like, how would you approach the issue of how do you have a just society where people, um, you know, where where there's some consequences for crime? Um, and where there's also opportunities for um, making making corrections. How, how would you have a criminal justice system as a libertarian? What would your vision be? Well, I don't know that there's a libertarian position per se. There's probably a lot of different views. But I think to be consistent as a libertarian, first of all, we wouldn't have victimless crime. So this ridiculous war on drugs would be ended. We'd stop putting people in prison for doing things to their own body. If they want to get high, if they want to destroy their own lives, that's their business. It's not the government's. It certainly isn't mine. So if you got rid of the war on drugs, I think that would go a long way to reducing the prison population. Also things like prostitution that are, that are illegal, that, that's silly. It's, all it does is make the field more dangerous and more seedy than it otherwise would be. So there's two things that, that I think where liberals and libertarians would be on the same page. Um, 
I think that if you initiate violence against somebody else, I think that's violence and fraud would be the only crimes for which I would put somebody in prison. So I think that stealing or violating someone's property, those can be viewed as acts of violence in a, in a broader sense. So those types of things too, I think should be against the law. But as far as how the correctional system actually works, I think that it has, I agree with the goals of correction. So the goals of corrections are incapacitation, punishment, deterrence, rehabilitation. I agree with those goals. The question is how to most effectively do them or accomplish them rather. And they're currently not being accomplished. So as a libertarian, I would say, let's introduce incentives into the system so that we can get the results that we actually want. And I don't see why liberals or conservatives for that matter would really have an issue with that. I think everybody wants a safer society that works for everybody. So why not actually do what's the evidence shows is going to produce that. And the evidence shows evidence-based programming, core correctional practices. These are the things that actually help to reform offenders. And given that 95% of offenders are going to be released at some point, I think it's in society's interest to do so. Can you give me an example of evidence-based programming? Sure. So I don't want to get you too far into the weeds, but the evidence shows that cognitive behavioral therapy addressed to criminogenic needs is what reforms offenders. So what that means is you help offenders to retrain their thinking away from the types of thinking and behavior that brought them where they are to begin with. So for instance, antisocial attitudes and beliefs, antisocial values, um, low education, use of drugs. You want to address those things. And you do that with the cognitive behavioral model and the results have actually been very good. The problem is, well, a problem is, is that that has to take place in an environment that helps to reinforce what's being taught in the program. So if you go to a, a program and you're taught to take responsibility for yourself, taught to think more effectively, taught to be self-reflective, but then you go back to a housing unit where the correctional officers are misbehaving, maybe sleeping, maybe violating your rights. The other inmates are allowed to scream and yell and slam dominoes with impunity. That all everything you learned in the program tends to get washed away, which is why you need the whole package. So it sounds like you have um, something really meaningful that you're doing now that you're out. Um, you're also helping to educate people about what uh, you feel could really change the system. Um, so you're playing a really good advocacy role out in your community. What are maybe one or two things as we kind of get near the close of the show today that you think people don't know about prison that they need to know? Like, say your average person maybe who's listening to the show who doesn't really know that much about the criminal justice system, what are a couple of things that would really help give people insight into um, into what that life is like? Okay, well, first I would say, and I haven't been in every prison in the country, obviously, so I can only speak about the prisons that I've been in. But the idea that prison is sort of this kill or be killed environment is ridiculous. That's not what it's like at all. Prison, if I had to describe it, it's more like Groundhog Day, where every day is the same thing over and over again. And it's just tedium and a lot of noise. Because like I said, the inmates are allowed to run riot, scream and holler and slam and dominoes. So that's just repeated day after day after day after day. So I think that's one misconception is people believe that it's this very dangerous environment and everybody benefits from that, by the way, the correctional officers benefit from it when they ask for higher pay or more overtime or greater benefits, the inmates benefit from it because then they can claim that they're victims of how horrible and how dangerous prison is. 
but it's that's largely mythology. Something else I, I think that is a misconception is I think criminals like everybody else have the potential for change. It doesn't benefit society to just lock people up for 15, 20 years and release them. It benefits society if we actually offer criminals the tools to change their behavior while they're in prison. I think that the myopia of just thinking this guy's a bad guy, lock him up, that needs to go. People need to understand that these guys and girls are going to be back out in society. What can we do as a society to make sure that they succeed? It's far smarter than what we currently do. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> we've been speaking tonight with Michael Leibovitz, um, who is recently released after spending 25 years um, as an adult in custody. Um Michael, tell us about the uh, radio show that you help to host and where people can find out more about that and more about you. Okay, I, I don't help to host the show. I'm just a guest. But uh, yes, the, the, the show is the Todd Feinberg Show. It's on every day here in Connecticut every weekday from 3 to 6. And it's also available through the Odyssey app. I think it's odyssey.com. I think it's a great show. That's why I'm involved in it. Um, you know, the host and the guests all have their own opinions, but it's certainly open for rational discussion and, and disagreement. And, and, and I think that's how ultimately we learn. So in my opinion, it's a great show, but of course I am biased. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K2H2BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Once a Braided River on Tuesday, May 16th from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Cinema 21 in Portland. 
Once a Braided River is a documentary film by Barbara Bernstein. The film tells the story of the Willamette River before it was transformed into a Superfund site. The documentary features community groups and activists working to replace the zone and explores their vision to reclaim this stretch of river as a place where people and wildlife can thrive. Again, that's Once a Braided River on Tuesday, May 16th from 7pm to 9pm at Cinema 21, 616 Northwest 21st Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.org.